hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Hey guys, before we jump into this episode, I have some exciting news for all of us. After having such an overwhelming response from of like downloads from this podcast and so many of you all over the world sending me feedback about what you actually want to hear more of and what you would like to see more of and what else we should do, like don't just stop at podcasting, I am at launching a brand new community. No, 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 not a Facebook group, a community on like a custom platform. I'm really excited about it. Super cool. And this is going to be a community on a platform just for you. It's called For Now. It's like a working title. I hope I might stick with it. I don't know. Let me know what you think. HA Society. And yes, it is a place for you to come and to get the support that you do need on your on your journey for HA But it's going to be so much more than just a message board. I am thinking community calls, like weekly, for us all to get together and connect during this time and process with other women who really understand what we're going through. And I have these connections in coaches who are meditation coaches, mindfulness coaches, yoga instructors, 
and even relationship coaches, all of these different people in my life who I was just like, oh, I want all of these people to come together and, and create programs and do sessions for us. And all of the nutrition practitioners that I know, the dietitians and the nutritional therapy practitioners and people that you've heard on this very show to come into this community and do talks and Q&As with you guys. So I'm putting that together right now. It's a fair bit of work. But in the meantime, there is a wait list for you to get onto. So if you want to get on that wait list, either, you know, click the link in the show notes, go to the, our Instagram page uh, at the HA podcast or my Instagram page at Danny Sheriff and you'll find the link in our bios or you can just go to hapodcast.com and you will find a link to the waitlist right there on the homepage. So that's it for my little announcement. Now on to the show. Hey, and welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast, an adulting advice podcast production. I'm Danny Sheriff, and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Chloe Rubino. Yeah. She's a recovery story and she's going to share with us her story and where she's at in it right now. So Chloe, hey, welcome. Hi there, guys. Yeah. So I'm Chloe. I'm 16 years old right now. And I actually reached out to Danny because the minute that I found out about the podcast, I remember right in the beginning of my recovery, I was so interested and just thirsty for any form of advice. And the hard thing for me was that I couldn't find anybody who was in a similar age bracket to me and it was harder to find people that were vocal about their stories and so I was really just looking anywhere so for me one of the first things that I did is I joined the no period now what support group on Facebook and I'm sure I was probably one of the younger people there but I was reading every single night through that feed just as a as a form of like inspiration to keep me going to see that it was possible Um, so that was like one of the really important things for me, but I actually got HA because, um, I dealt with anorexia and I started dealing with, with that because I began to track macros after I got really inspired by working out. So I had a really great experience at a summer camp with a coach who really pushed me and, I felt for the first time, like, oh my gosh, like I got this right. Like I can do this. And for me growing up, weight loss was always something that I aspired to do, but never seemed doable. Um, I grew up in a family with a mom who was a model and a sister who has a great, beautiful, gorgeous body. And I always thought that skinny bodies were where I should be. And that was what I was supposed to be. But I also had um, hypothyroidism. So for me, growing up eating and doing the same things and having the same activity as the rest of my family, but never looking like anybody else was really frustrating for me. Um, so finally, after having that experience, I was like, you want to know what? I feel so inspired. I'm going to do this for real. I'm going to go into it 100%. So I downloaded my fitness pal. Oh, God. And I started tracking my macros and I became 
so committed. I became that type of person who would never miss a workout. This was my sophomore year in high school. So I started really becoming isolated from my friends and from social events and from being a normal teenage girl. And I became so obsessed like with packing my lunch and with making sure I made my meals and I, I wouldn't eat with my family. I would only cook for myself. I would cook only what I would eat so I could track it. I would weigh it all out. And I was so obsessed and scared um, of losing this because like Danny said, um, I was so committed to the progress and I was so in love with, with the experience of losing weight. And I thought that was making me feel better, um, which now I realize it really wasn't um, because I have this really like memorable experience for me now is actually in that mirror in my room, I, I used to take progress pictures. Like I'm sure a lot of us mm -hmm. who dealt with yeah. this did. And I woke up one morning and I took a progress picture. And at the time I thought I was so fat. I looked at my stomach in the mirror. I was like, oh my gosh. And this was like a peak time of eating disorder for me um, because quarantine really allowed my eating disorder to thrive because I had all of this time to work out. I work at a gym, so I had access to a gym. Um, so I was able to go in there every day and be there for two hours. And now that I had this availability to food, I was even more focused on keeping it away from me. So I took this picture in this mirror and I thought I looked so large, like, and I was so frustrated by that. And not until about a month and a half ago was I able to look back at that picture and see how ghastly I look and see that my stomach was all like pressed to my internal organs, literally that I was so bony and I'm five foot 10. So I was never, ever supposed to look like what I was looking like at the time. And, and it's just so heartbreaking. And that for me was the real time. It was the real first time that I realized like, oh my gosh, I have an eating disorder because I was so in my head that I could never see what I really looked like. So I always thought I was bigger than I was. And I never believed that where I was or the person that I was was good enough at, at the place that I was. I could never be happy with being here, you know? Wow. I'm so taken back by the fact that you're only 16 and have already been through a bunch of things that a lot of us only kind of figured out and started going through way later, way later. Yeah. And that you started talking about quarantine. So all this is so recent. Yeah. So my recovery actually started in quarantine. So um, my, I would say the real time that I really started suffering from my eating disorder was in about August, right when school started. Um, and I, I had just, that was when the rules that I'm sure a lot of us know, really, I started putting them into effect. And that's when I really started to feel like the way that I was and the person that I was was altered, like the way that I would go about my life. So when we started quarantine, um, one thing that is no fault to anyone, because obviously like eating disorders are very secretive. And, and I think being in a bigger body for most of my life, um, societally, we're just taught to applaud those people. So everyone in my life pretty much applauded me my family, mm -hmm. everyone. And I'm mm -hmm. sure they had their concern behind closed doors. Yeah. But to me, I was suddenly so lovable because I was so into fitness. I was so small. I was so doable. And everyone just applauded me 
as the scale went down. And so for me, I really attached my worth and everything to that. So it wasn't until quarantine when some of my family actually got to really see me the full day, not being in school um, for majority of my day, but they really got to watch me and, and, mm. and see how I was changed from the person that they knew before I started school. Um, so in, in the beginning of quarantine, um, I went about a month really allowing ED to thrive and really letting it thrive in secret. Um, and then at one point, my parents, or my dad rather, he noticed me and we, ha we were having a family meal and my sisters had made sushi and I couldn't eat the rice. Like I just had this so much fear. And now I speak on this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so sad for her, for that poor person. But in the moment, I could not, it was so scary. I felt like everyone was looking at me. And that moment was the first moment that my dad was like, oh my gosh, something's really wrong here. Like, like we let, we, we, we missed this, you know? And right then everyone came onto my team. So immediately that was very overwhelming. Cause I was like, why do you all suddenly care? Like, especially when you're struggling with something like that, it's like, no, just let me be, I've got my routine. I've got my shtick. Let me do it. Um, but suddenly everyone, everyone wanted to be involved. So that was really scary for me. Um, but they really pushed me to start working with a therapist and start working with a dietitian, um, which having those two assets have been 100% the thing that has really kept me going in my recovery. So um, in April, on April 28th, exactly, I had a conversation with my parents. My dad sat at the table with me. He's like, I need you to just gain five pounds. Like he had talked to my dietitian, my dietitian and my therapist. And that was the goal for me, just be able to gain five pounds. Because I was at that point, like at a weight where I knew that I was too small and I didn't feel it. Like I would look in the mirror and I didn't feel it, but I, something in me knew. So like when they would ask me how much I weighed, I would always bump it five pounds more because I was like, I didn't want them to like, really realized that there was something wrong so that was definitely a big part of the secrecy so I I they finally were like okay you need to gain five pounds and I really resisted but I was like I was struggling with so much depression and mental health issues at that time and my anxiety my anxiety was at a full time really just going so I was like okay like I just don't want to feel this way anymore and that's when I started all in so no period now what by Nicole Rinaldi really changed everything for me because HA is so not talked about. Um, so I really just, I, I had nowhere to go until I found out that this was what I was struggling with. Yeah. I have so many questions for you. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Where do I begin? So what grade at school are you in? I'm a sophomore in high school, but so now it's-, it's What does that alive, even mean? So I've never been through the U.S. school system. I hear these oh. things. I've only heard, like, to me, it's all in movies, right? Yeah, I'm a sophomore. I'm a freshman. I'm just like, I don't know what that yeah. means. Is so, that, like, uh, the middle year of, uh, like? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's kind of like the middle year of high school. So you have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So there's four years. Um, and okay, So you have, like, so three years left? No, I have two now because I've completed my sophomore year because it's, okay. it's summer. Because it's, so it's in the summer. middle of the year that, it's, that it ends and finishes. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. so weird. Where I'm from, school starts in February. 
<laughs> and That's you so just weird. you just go from high school is just you seven to twelve. There's no like fancy names. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So technically, I would like when I was really dealing with this was in tenth grade, and I'm going okay. to eleventh grade now. Yeah. Okay. So you're still like in high school. Yeah. I want to know what what some of the challenges because a lot of the women on this show aren't going to be able to speak to these challenges yeah like you are right now what the hell is high school like right now because I haven't been there for 10 years and what what are like any concerns thoughts or stresses that you have that might be different to people who are going through HA that aren't in high school so as in like what about being in high school could potentially make this harder or easier I don't know and yeah. yeah, like high school, HA, body image, girls, like talk to me about this. Yeah. So I went to an art school. So every single day, well, three times a week, rather, we would all strip down into leotards and tights. And freshman year, being in a bigger body before trying ever to lose weight, that was really stressful for me because I was probably one of the bigger girls in my class. Um, and so that always made me uncomfortable and definitely there was stress because our dance teachers were all professional dancers and not used to teaching people um, of bigger sizes than just a ballerina body type because that was they were very classically trained so there was always comments when we'd come back from summer about our our bellies and that we need to start working out and that this is not what dancers look like so that was always something like on top of what I felt on the inside and the normal societal pressures, now suddenly our teachers telling us like, you are not good at your craft unless you look like this and you just have to conform. So definitely that was one, um, that was one thing that really added. But also since it was an art school, I was in musical theater, but there were dancers and there were all these other people, so beautiful, so artistic looking. So there was already a big comparison game. Um, and I think that that being in high school, but also with these added stakes of going to school with these kids who are very into their crafts as well, really made it even more challenging. So for me, when I was losing weight in school before quarantine happened and continuously going down, every day in the bathroom, girls would be like, tell me what you're doing. What are your secrets? You look so great. I'm so jealous. I can never lose weight. And I would sit at lunch and I would cry every day because there was this stress, not from them saying this, but there was just this unspoken stress. I, in November, I can really remember calling my dad. I had this like panic attack, like I'd never had before. And it was right after lunch. And I was just suddenly feeling so anxious. And I called him and I was like, I need you to pick me up. Like, I need to go home. Like, I can't, I can't complete this school day. And, and in the car, I was like, dad, I think I need therapy. And at that point, I was just looking like I was living life so great. So he thought it was just high school stress. And it was like, no, you're fine. Like, I think that that one struggle with eating disorders as well is like, you need to really present to be having an eating disorder. But it's like, no one wants to go into treatment when you're really dealing with it. You want to continue on your way. So you'll do anything to hide it. So I wore big baggy clothes and everything like that. But I was still so self-conscious. So I never thought that I was small. Um, But definitely in high school and all this added stuff, all of the girls and everyone suddenly telling the, telling you that you're so pretty and, and everyone applauding you and even your teachers and no one asking uh, on an honest level, are you okay? 
I think my best friend, I think it was so hard for her to watch and to see just the person that I was kind of fade away. And for that, I'm so sorry that I couldn't have like been solid, but it's so true as to, as to the fact that I just kind of like disappeared from my life and it was hurtful. I think it's a little bit more sad now that I'm like, I wish there was a different level of honesty. I wish there was um, in the school system that, that there could be just more honesty and that we could talk about the things that we're actually going through. I really hate being like, how are you? Oh, I'm okay. Cause that was my answer every day, but I was never okay. I was sobbing daily. I, I felt so unhappy. And one thing that really was prominent in my, like in my thoughts was like, I am where I wanted to be. I had hit the goal weight and passed it. I'm where I wanted to be. And I'm even sadder than I was before. Like I found so much more to hate about myself. Why did this happen? Like, and it was just like, I had become so small. And so now applauded by everyone that the idea of gaining weight and leaving that person that was suddenly told that they were better than they ever were before. Like the comments that people made comparing my old self to the person that I was like at my smaller size were so hurtful because hmm. now it kept me in this trap where it was like, okay, I can't go back. Like, there's no so they were like, back. they were like positive. They were making, you know, quote unquote positive comments. But what that was doing was like reinforcing that the old you wasn't good enough and 100%. that the person you are right now is the way you need to be. But, but, but it was stressful for you because staying that way felt impossible and you were just going to, it was like inevitable that you were going to go back or that you were going to have to live in this sad existence. Yeah. And it's kind of like a trapped feeling. More of the sad, because I definitely felt at that point, I thought my life was very sustainable. I thought I would never stop okay. macro tracking. I thought I would keep on doing this for forever, but I was just so like, I was struggling so much on the inside and doing such a good job of hiding it mm. that when people didn't see that and people didn't ask me if I was okay and just assumed, I was like, I have to live my life silently. Like for the rest, I'm not allowed to struggle. I'm not allowed to do any of this stuff. Cause mm. like, Oh, I did it. You know, like, but I ever admitting to the fact that like, this was one of the worst things that happened to me, like losing weight, which is so deemed as amazing was genuinely what did the worst to me like it was so hard to say that and that's why gaining weight and everything I think if it weren't for quarantine it would have been way harder because I was so afraid to come back to my life and come back to seeing people and and being in high school and everything like that and now being different and and the harsh reality of that people were going to say things now and I was so afraid because I knew that people would comment because I look different now you know mm. Yeah. So going back, cause you haven't gone back to school yet. No, it's like yeah. summer vacation or something. Um, so what are you thinking or feeling about going back when that time comes? So, so with all of quarantine and stuff like that, actually before I, I had this realization, like when I started recovery and stuff like that, that I just realized what I was at school for the environment, everything like that. It was not something I was really passionate about on top of the, the pressure from teachers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I just realized that pursuing musical theater and stuff like that, it was, it was something like, I really loved that from fifth to the beginning of freshman year, which is ninth. And I really, it was for me. And I really found my people through it, but I really realized like, Oh, I don't, 
think that this is what brings me a lot of passion anymore. And I was only able to have that realization because there was space free in my brain because I was no longer always thinking about mm. food or always thinking about stuff like that. There were options for me in my life now. Like I got to drive a little bit more. So I went to my parents. I was like, Hey, I, I want to experience life. Like I'm, I, I don't want to be trapped in the school system. I don't want to be trapped in, in brick and mortar learning the way that, that we have been taught for so long. I was like, I just want to make my life a really great adventure. And I feel like there's so much learning outside of the classroom. So my next two years of high school for when I graduate also, I'm going to be doing online school. And this actually came at a weird time with COVID and everything like that. It worked out kind of conveniently, mm -hmm. but there were so many things that I wanted to pursue. Um, like I want to try out rowing and I want to try, I want to travel more and I want to do so much with my life that my, my school started at 7.20 in the morning and went until four o'clock in the afternoon. So I, I wanted to become a person that could say yes to trying all different things, but my schedule really wasn't allowing me. So yeah. with lots of conversations with my parents, they really realized that like, oh, something different could really work for me. And now with COVID, it ended up just working perfectly. Was kind of the only option anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's really, really interesting. I talk about this kind of thing a lot where it's like somehow you have no idea you don't realize that you're taking up all of this time and energy and space in your mind thinking about food and exercise and exactly. like you start down this journey because I did this exact same thing you start down this journey and I think I talked about it in my um episode about like my story about HA where I had convinced myself that this that weightlifting and like exercise was like the thing for me because society basically somehow made me feel like I had to dedicate myself to looking at and like to looking a certain way and my idea of getting there was through being um, a high level athlete and then when I started going down this route of oh I shivers I need my period <laughs> how do I get that back and being faced with this concept of well, you could just stop weightlifting and change your life. And I really, really thought, but this is who I am. And like, this is how, this is how I'm accepted. And if I go and if I stop doing it, what else am I going to do? Yeah. And it took a little while to realize, oh, I'm actually really into a lot of different stuff. And I actually have a bunch of passions and they're not just things that were like, for childhood, Danny, they're, they're things for me now. And they might like, it's so wild. You don't realize how you're suppressing things that you might be passionate about or interested in because you think you're not allowed to, because you're confined to like tracking your food or whatever it is that's taking up so much space for you. Yeah, so. I can, that was so me as well. I really was, I thought, I, I can remember all the conversations. I was like, I don't understand how I never did this before. This is the rest of my life. Like I cannot imagine going. And I remember all the conversations about like how this was going to be for the rest of my life. And I just thought it was who I was. Like I really truly believed it. And escaping that was so challenging. And I think I'm definitely doing what you said, which is finding the new things that I'm passionate about. So whether it's drawing 
or baking like in in it in a uninhibited way not worrying as much about what's in what you bake not worrying as much like something for me that I think my eating disorder really stemmed from was this need for control in my life um because there was so much I was so aware that there was so much I couldn't control so whatever I could hands-on I'm driving this like I just needed to control it so really testing that and practicing with art and all different stuff like really letting myself just be and paint what I felt and not go back and erase and not go back Mm -hmm. and try to make it perfect because that's something I really found I was doing and just allowing myself to be as I am yes I so resonate with that like the growth of my artwork happened in a really short period of time and a lot of it came back to the fact that I became willing to put up the the first few pictures that weren't perfect yet yeah but the I feel like the old me would have been like you cannot present this to the world until it's at an acceptable point just like your body you know I like we think there's an end to this dieting but there's not an end because you'll always, for some reason, like you were talking about at the beginning, you'll look at yourself and you won't see a finished product. You'll always see this like work in progress and you need to keep going and you can't do anything else until you finish this. But there is no finish. Uh, yeah, it's so wild. It's definitely a lesson in like, do it, consider it completed, move on to the next thing. Yeah which is really surprisingly powerful. Tell me about your, about the recovery process. So like your parents got involved, you were totally on board. You've started making some changes into like your future. Were there any struggles from the moment you decided to start making a change? Yeah, definitely. So for me, I was missing my period for 10 months and there, there are people that miss it for way longer, but because of my hypothyroidism immediately my doctors and like my endocrinologists were very aware and that was something that they always watched for and I had a very regular cycle all of my life so the minute that I didn't have that they really were like aware and so it became something that when it came later like when I still wasn't having a period that people like my family became very aware um and just it was always like ah it's gonna come but the first struggle that I really came across was when I was reading No Period, Now What? I read it in one night. I just read everything. I was so thirsty and desperate for information. Mm-hmm. And I remember having conversations with both my dad and my mom. Um, and at that time, they were so, I think they had their concerns, but still they accepted who I was because all I was saying was, this is who I was supposed to be. So you support your child like in those moments. Um but I had a conversation. I was like, I'm reading this book. and like, they want to, me to gain all this weight. I was like, I don't know if that's something I can do. And like, like, I'm not sure they want me to not exercise. And I came from a family that exercising was a part of everyone's daily routine. Like it was meditation for them. That was how they just found their days. Like my mom was a triathlete and my dad was a runner and they met kayaking. Like they really were, they really were, very athletic people so for them suddenly hearing that you're not going to work out after they've seen me work out every single day for a year like what and they value that as well like they value being active and mm. exactly so 
at that point, I really had to be in charge of my own recovery and kind of put some blinders on and say, like, my parents might tell me to work out or my parents might question some things, but I have to trust in myself and trust in my dietitian and my therapist and really be able to focus, you know, and push away some comments that were painful or stuff like that and really be able to push forward. And that really was hard because eating more, especially while dealing with an eating disorder is really frustrating. And it's hard because no one gets it. No mm-hmm. one that is around you can yeah. really understand. What do you um, mean? Just eat more. Through. What's so hot about it? The <laughs> first time my dad, who I love so much, but he was like, yeah. okay, let's get you burgers. And- hey, do you know what your blind spots are? As in, do you know what it is, what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back? Look, it could be an absolute plethora cornucopia of things, but in our practice, what we tend, the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be still doing and these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even we have created a checklist it's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today? So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery and it's just an insightful thing for you to do to help you reflect and then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery so to get the checklist all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you you can print it off And you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. And a milkshake. And I was like, like, ah, it's too much too soon. I was like, (laughs) like that to me and just like the grain of rice was so hard like when suddenly I was allowed to gain all this weight it was still just as terrifying like I didn't want to and I don't think any woman is like yeah that's what I want to do right now but mm-hmm. not until you're in the tail end of it you understand the purpose for it but I think one thing that I was really realizing was my my family and all this stuff it was so unheard of it wasn't really talked about and everyone lives their own lives so they can hear about what I'm going through and they can hear about HA and stuff like that but they won't know it to the depth that I'm knowing it and researching it and so when I realized like hey I have to gain this weight I have to eat totally unrestrained that's a big switch from from watching someone be very particular about what they eat to being like 
can we buy ice cream? Like, I'm not sure if we can. Like, I remember just like anxiety and asking those questions and asking for what I was wanting. Um, but it was given to me and they listened and they, they watched. And I think definitely they thought, Hey, this is unhealthy. But I, I think now they both totally agree with what I did because of the mindset that I'm in now. And I think they would rather have a healthy and happy kid with a period who's functioning and who's lovable and who's social than a really tiny kid that can spend their day in the gym all day and are very particular about what they eat. Like something that I still think we're working through, like the three of us with my, like my parents and I is, is kind of breaking down the ideas of body types and what exercising can mean for each person and just redefining health like that has been something for me that I I'm trying to to share is like health looks different for each person because I remember when I first heard health at every size when I was dealing with ED I was like I'm not really like I support everyone but I don't believe that that's for me like Mm -hmm. I looked at every woman and I was like you are so beautiful you go girl like I was so supportive of every woman and their recovery but I was like not me and I remember Mm -hmm. in your episode with Laura Lyons that she said something similar to that like like that it's for everyone else and recovery and and this pathway and that you can be great but not me so I really subscribe to that (sighs) idea that it would work for everyone else and that everyone else was worthy regardless of their size except for me yeah this is a great one because I feel like this has come up in every conversation I've done so far. It's a really a theme. You read the book, you listen to the stories, you read the stories and you're like, but I don't deserve to do that or I'm not worthy of that or, but my story's a little different. So I'm not sure if that's for me, which is what's so important about sharing all these different stories. Because yeah. if we only hear the one, which is quite common, like, uh, you know, endurance athlete, very low weight, under like textbook HA, you know what I mean? Um, we, we will be like, oh, but I think I'm a little different because I'm not as extreme as that person or something like yeah. that. But no, if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I don't deserve to like take that protocol as in rest that much, or that person might've needed to increase their calories by like a thousand, but I don't think that's me. And I fall victim to this still like every single day. It doesn't go away. You still have those thoughts. Of course. (sighs) Yeah, I know. Just sigh. No, I can definitely agree with that. I think obviously, so just, my recovery started um, in April. It started April 28th is the day that I went all in and I got my period exactly a month later on May 28th. So for me, it felt like the longest period of time in my life, but it was so worth it. And there were so many tears and so much of all of that, but there is still that like looming, am I doing the right thing? Because after I got my first period, I didn't get another period until 57 days later. Do you know so, why? Like, did you change anything? Did you kind of go back in the other direction after you got that one for that first period? Yeah. So I would say that I worked out about a total of seven times for about 20 minutes each. And these were very different than my other workouts. My other workouts were very cardio weight. Mm. And I was, if I can give one piece of advice, 
take off the activity tracker on your Apple Watch. Stop listening to the calorie burn on your Apple Watch or your Fitbit. Stop listening to total daily expenditure. I was like obsessed with those calculators. I was like, oh, I'll put in my numbers and that's how much I'm allowed to eat. And I would do mental math in every meal. I was crazy about that. Mm -hmm. um, so there was definitely like a point in those, in those 57 days where I was like, like, I, I feel like I've reached kind of around my set point weight. This is kind of what I looked like before. Like, I don't think that there's like more weight for me to gain. And it came to a point where I just had to be like, you want to know what? Like, I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to honor what my body wants. And one thing for me that I, I've just more recently started doing with the help of my therapist and dietitian is listening to what comes first, because my ED voice will hop right back on, on whatever I think. So if I think mm, I'm hungry, I'll be like, well, no, you're not hungry. You just ate this, all this. Mm -hmm. So I just had to start like really going with what came first, you know? And I think that was something I wish I did more previously. Cause I used to work out even if I, even if I didn't feel good, it was just like, I would be like, Oh, I don't really feel good, but I need to work out. This is my, I'll lose my progress, blah, 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 blah. So now I kind of really am honoring the first instinct and trusting what came first because that's what my body wanted for me and and it's really hard and I, I think that I would totally be lying if I said that it isn't uncomfortable at some times that it doesn't always feel great that you don't always feel proud of yourself that it can feel really really lonely mm. and I think something that's important is to think back to that moment when it first switched for you and like why was why are you pursuing this like why was this so important to you and for me it was like like I'm 16 so it's not like I was thinking about kids or stuff like that but I was like if I don't have a period there's something wrong like I had a regular very healthy never miss a cycle since I was like 11 so I was like there is something wrong and I have to be aware of that like I felt it in so many other ways. My hair fell out. My nails were so brittle. I had awful mood swings. I never felt energized, um, but I chose not to listen to them. And, and until I was like remembering why I was starting and, and, and remembering from the moment, like why I wanted to, to go all in and like why it was so important to me it was tied so much with wanting to just be myself and like wherever that was supposed to be, but to let my body lead me there and to take off that grip and to take off that control and really let go and just allow my body to be without me being on top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's just crazy. It's crazy to me how you had this innate understanding that like this isn't right because a lot of people don't go don't have that experience they to completely ignore it and their lack of understanding like the role of a period inside of your body other than just allowing you to have kids a lot of people think that it's this like optional extra that doesn't have any other health consequences if it's missing it just means maybe you can't get pregnant a lot of yeah. people just think that but you obviously had this maybe even yeah just instinctual feeling that like this isn't right yeah I definitely felt that like I totally denied the fact that I was dealing with an eating disorder just because I was like 
oh, like on the surface, I was like, oh, that's not me. I'm just really healthy. But on the inside, I was always like, and I remember really having that realization. It was a sob fest for me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm dealing with. This, how did I let myself get here? But it's like mm. on your core, something feels wrong about what you're doing. So on my core, I was like, this, they, like in conjunction with everything else that was going on in my life, I was like, this feels not very right. And also the help of uh, the doctors for me, like my endocrinologist, people that were very aware of what that meant, because I wouldn't have known that much about osteoporosis or the side effects if I wasn't having a period. But I can I can say that like I'm still growing. So that was another really important factor is, mm-hmm. is right after I started eating more and getting my period, my hair started growing and filling out. My nails got really strong and I got taller. Like I'm already tall, but like I felt like I was getting taller. I was growing. Yeah. Like, and, and I just was, I felt the, the voice, like it started to quiet down a little bit and just, just feeling like you're an actual person inside of the fitness machine that you thought you were, that person starts to grow and, and it happens slowly and you just have to be really patient with yourself. Like push yourself in a sense of, follow recovery, stay on that path, really try not to relapse, but be patient, understand that it's hard and, and, and give yourself that sympathy. Because I think if you are sitting and telling yourself like, Oh, like I hate doing this. I hate gaining weight. Uh, I'm not worthy or stuff like that. Like those conversations will happen, but being almost your own therapist and like thinking about like the reasonable side of that, that was something that was a big project for me that my therapist and dietitian gave me is like, write down the thought and like, think about like what someone who loves you would say, or think about like what the nicer side of that would be. So like, if I were to think like, no one will love me if I'm fat, they'll be like, the people who really love me will care about me regardless of my size. They'll just want me, you know? So I think really starting to learn to combat those voices and remember why you started um, and remember the pain that all of it caused you like, and that you don't want to go back. Cause that for me has been a big thing. It's like, regardless of like, if I might not always be confident in my size, I'm like losing weight was not the fix for this. Like that was internal, but I went to it in an external sense. I was unhappy with who I was. So I thought, you want to know what? I've always wanted to lose weight. Let's go there. But once I realized like it was just making my problems bigger because now there was like less of me to deal with it and like less brain space to deal with it, less care for myself. Like it was so dark that now I can really see all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So very wise. (laughs) And I just like also wanted to touch on the, how you were still growing and you did experience sort of like uh, a quick spurt once you increase your calories. Yeah. Women don't reach their peak bone mass until I believe late twenties, early thirties. And so the amount of which you're still growing to be for a teenager to be restricting their calories so much is, you know, potentially an even deeper calorie deficit than it could be for a grown woman because there are so many more processes still underway. Yeah. And if you don't grow that, if you don't get that bone mass, that's going to lead to some serious complications later down the yeah. track. So it was really amazing foresight from you. And I do hope that 
there are other girls that are having those those perspectives and they're having parents that are looking out for them in the way that they were for you is there any advice or anything that you want to give to people who just like are teenagers or are around teenagers have teenagers like what conversations or things should we be looking out for 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 people like you yeah I think one thing that's super important like for parents and stuff like that is is understanding that your kid just kind of needs your support there always whether it's spoken or not kids need support definitely in all different ways but I think something that was really crucial to my recovery was having cheerleaders on my team and 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 if I was having a hard day, if I was having a hard time having a meal or something like that, or if I was having anxiety or something like that, my parents coming and sitting with me and just learning that like, it might not be what they understand. It might not be something that they experienced, but it was so real for me. And I think believing your kids when they tell you what's wrong, that is, is a different level of acceptance. Like I just, I didn't need my parents to tell me it was going to be okay because something in me I was like I know in five years like I will be fine like I know that what is currently happening and feels so like crazy in my life will like that life will continue like I know that but in this moment I just need to feel valid if I tell you that my life sucks I want you to say yeah I I Mm. can see how you feel that way like but I love you and I want to ride this roller coaster with you. And, and just instead of, instead of expecting what your kids should be, allowing them to be and, and really just allowing them to be whoever they are, whatever they want to be and being supportive. And, and I think obviously in a way that doesn't let them go do crazy stuff, but letting like I think for me something that has been really crucial is just a a level of acceptance for my parents with everything that I do like whether it was coming out to my parents or having those conversations there was always an openness about everything and there was it, it was always okay to ask questions and it was always okay to come to them because I I feel now that there's nothing that I need to do to escape from my parents like if I needed anything, if I needed to have a conversation, if I wanted to go do something or anything like that, the the communication that I feel with them is I don't feel judged. I don't feel like berated by them. I feel a level of trust between us. And so I think just trusting that your kid is so aware of their situation. And like, mm-hmm. like I have always been very aware of what's going on in my life and like what I'm struggling with. So being supportive instead of being like a fixer always, I think is something important. That's something like that I had to tell my parents. I was like, like, I don't want you to fix me. Like this is, I want to do this like for myself in a sense, like I don't want to, I don't want to be recovered because you told me to, like, I want to know why I'm doing this. And and I think really being a platform to listen to your kids and love them regardless. I think that's like, I think the point that I would leave it with is just like so much love regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely I'm getting a lot of like, and I feel this from you and so many 16 year olds too. They've like, I'm actually 
pretty freaking smart, okay? And I know that I'm your kid, but I'm now transitioning into adulthood and I'm just going to like need you to support me while I figure stuff out for myself now. Exactly. And that's awesome. Which, okay, brings me to my final question. And it's not actually HA related. And we're going to go off on a, on a different uh, outro question. Yeah. Um, but first of all, what state do you live in? I live in Florida. I live in Miami. Oh, oh okay. Interesting. So you are the only 16-year-old that I know. So I have to ask you this question, <laughs> which I only realized as I was talking to you, I was like, oh, I don't know any teenagers. Okay. My husband and I, like many people, we watch a lot of Netflix. A lot of shows are about high school kids. Like they're all, it's all drama about like 16, 17, maybe 18. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's no way this is happening in any way in real life. All these teenagers are doing hard drugs. They're smoking. They're going out to party at like 2, 3 a.m. Where are these people's parents? What is going on? Why is that kid so rich? Why is that kid driving a Benz to school? I'm so confused. <laughs> is any of this remotely true? Tell the listeners. Okay, so yeah, so I think so since I live in Miami, there's a different of culture of kids than if I lived in like Wisconsin. Like this is why I asked about your state, yeah. Yeah, so I think especially with like wealth and stuff like that, there are kids that have different access. So there are private schools with, there's like all boys private schools. So that like festers a, a different energy, which is not very, not very good. Um, but I think that, I think that there's a lot less of like the dating and like the we're all in love with each other and like a lot less <laughs> spin the bottle than there is in movies. I think the hard drugs don't really exist, but like there's so many kids that like smoke weed in Miami and everyone's doing that. I don't participate just because I'm not like, I don't know. I don't have that curiosity towards those yeah, type of things. Same. I don't really same. understand it. And the parties, they happen and the drinking, it happens, but it doesn't involve the entire high school like it looks in the movies. Like there are the select group of kids that subscribe to the same agenda that all do the same things but I find that it doesn't really flow as much into the other kids and I think there there are definitely some people driving like Benz's to school but it definitely <laughs> depends more on location um yeah, right, yeah kids of course. drive crazy cars but I think there's a different level of freedom to kids in Miami especially more than in other places in Florida um, but I think there's definitely responsibility that comes with that. And I, one thing that I'd hope for kids my age is that you're aware of that responsibility. Like one thing for me that I'm going through right now is I'm getting ready to get my license. And I know kids that are really just dangerous drivers that don't understand mm -hmm. where they are, that don't have that emotional or intelligence, like about the importance of that. So that's something for me, just being an anxious person, I'm like, if I'm going to be a driver, like I want to be very prepared. I actually have stickers that I put on the back of my parents' car that say, new driver, please be patient. Mm -hmm. Because I'm so aware of like what that means to, to have that responsibility. So, mm -hmm. but I know kids that are like doing crazy things. So just yeah. 
Miami can be crazy, yeah, but definitely not like the movies. And and the Mean Girls are mean, but not like the movies. The Mean Girls, yeah. So like high school in that sense of like gossip and stuff, I remember all of that. It's totally, I think both the fact that I went to school in a different country, but also just the way TV makes high school look very, I mean, I know there it's, it's a show, so there's like added drama in there, but they're really making it look like high school in general is like a huge, is just this like cesspool of just like drugs <laughs> and sex. And I'm like, yeah, I no. just don't remember that happening at all. And I'm pretty sure we were just a bunch of nerds. Um, yeah, we're our... a lot more socially anxious than like. <laughs> like yeah, but everyone's really... so cool at 16 in, on Netflix. Like, why are you I so know. cool and smart? <laughs> no, one ha- no one has that cred that they have in the movies. Like, no one like uh... walks around and like sits by the lockers. Like, everyone is is self-conscious and aware and and stuff like that no one is as thinks they're as cool and like the few people that do they don't get the the hype that that the people in the movies do like the people that think they're so cool are the not cool people everyone's standing around being like you're like what's happening like Uh, i find i find the u.s school experience very fascinating i'm kind of excited to have a child and like be a parent like kind of watching and my husband is american and I ask him questions all the time. I'm like, did you ever like date a cheerleader? Or <laughs> so like, what's a pep rally? <laughs> and I just like, I love just hearing about all of this ridiculousness that is American high school. Yeah, This is so funny. And when you were talking about like, you put stickers on your car. So where I'm from, um, that's the, the rules. So when you first get, you can't get a license till you're a certain age over 16 and um you have to put these big yellow plate with a big l on it and you have to put that on the back of your car for however long it takes for you to get your permit to drive alone so you have to have this l in your car you have to have a like a teacher with you and you have to have 160 hours i believe it is of practice time like logged then you can get your provisional license which is a big p that goes on the back of your car in red and um so everyone knows that you're in your first year of driving so like a proceed with caution near this person and then in the second year you can get your green provisional which is a big green p and you have to have big green p on the back of your car for two years so people know you're within your first three years of road of experience driving, which is so super crazy. And every time you want to get the next level, you have to pass a test. So you can't just get it based on like how long you've done it. You have to go back in for a test, like the DMV. Um, It's so wild. And the thing that's so fun about it is uh, men can tell if a girl, if a girly looking car has like a P plate on it, they always look in the car because they know there's going to be like a young girl driving the car. So that's just, I just wanted to share that for all of the listeners who don't know what happens in other countries. That's crazy. Oh, here it's way too easy. I really think. so easy. Our permit, you, in Florida, you can get your permit when you're 15, you take a test online and like so many people cheat. And then you wait one year and you take like a 10 minute test in the DMV and that's it. You have your license. It's so easy. 
It's oh, that's insane to me. The hoops you have to drop to go through in other countries to get your license. Yeah, I just was like, is that child picking his friends up for school and dr- like my child is not going to be picked up by a fifteen year old or whatever and driven to school? Are you kidding me? Yeah, but different crazy. strokes for different folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I appreciate that so much. Like, I know it's really weird for me to be excited to talk to a teenager. But I just I no. I was so uh, excited to do this. Uh, I I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Is there any last comments you want to leave the listeners, the ladies, going through all of this before we say goodbye? Yeah. Um. I just like like what I said earlier. Like you're valid. Your experience is valid. Really, I know it's so hard, but try your hardest not to play the comparison game. Whatever you're doing or not doing, just trust yourself. Really read no period now what. I really recommend mm-hmm. signing up for that support group. And I think unfollow people that make you feel bad about yourself or or people that you just can't see that stuff right now. You know, I've unfollowed every single person that I that I would watch to find out my workout for the day or like people posing in their bikinis or stuff like that. Just really follow some body acceptance pages and and write some reminders for yourself to find. On the back of my phone, I wrote, you got it. Like just constantly remind yourself of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And and just trust in the process. Like I know it can be really hard and long and just seem unknown, but I think like write a message for yourself of when you, of when, when you will get your period. And then when you've gotten your period, write a message back to that self. Just, just, it gives you something to look forward to and and you will get to that point and just keep on trusting along. It does happen. And I believe in you. And I'm oh, that's such you. great. Great tangible advice, tactical stuff. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Chloe. Can't thank you enough. Thank you, everybody listening. You can find us, the podcast, at the HA Podcast. Um, Chloe, did you wanna let? Did you wanna plug yourself, or were you just happy? Sure. You can you can follow me on Instagram if you want. It's just at Chloe Rubino. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's another person who's not gonna make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, if That's you have any want. questions or <laughs> if you if you are around my age or even if you're not and you just wanna talk or anything like that about your experience, I'd love to to listen or to help you in any way that I can. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, guys. All right, everyone, have a great day. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.